What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hello and welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Yeah. That's that's right. Felt a little bit like a newscast. Did it? Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello and welcome back. <laughs> yeah. But I'll take it. I'll take it. Well, good. Well, here we are. We're here. We're here. We've this is uh, our first episode that we were recording with a Christmas tree in our in our home. Like a little little ambiance well, going on. It's it's so much brighter in here because of it. Honestly, you know. Well, it's maybe so dim and gloomy. I have a theory. Mm-hmm. You want me to yeah. explain it? Okay. Yeah. So we have three boob lights in our basement, mm-hmm. and none of them have light bulbs in in them. Well, okay. Where's the theory? The theory is is that. If you would change the light bulbs, <laughs> it would be even brighter. <laughs> but I don't like changing these light bulbs because I like we, it kind of gl- gloomy in here. We have so many light bulbs in this house <laughs> that have gone out that we haven't changed since we moved. And it's very Tom Haverford of you. <laughs> one time my fridge broke and I just moved. The thing is, I know how to change light bulbs. I, I just know, don't like you- the kids leaving nine light so bulbs just- on in the basement every single day. So you just never... We'll change the light bulbs. That's right. <laughs> Using way less power. Saving electricity. Mm, my hero. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> well, what are you drinking tonight, my love? You know, I'm keeping it simple. I'm going for the Dr. Pepper Amaretto. Ooh, classic. Yes, I did less ice because I did notice that in our Ed Kemper episode, I could hear the moments that I took a drink break because the <laughs> ice was like very, it was like clinking around. Yeah. So I only did one large ice cube. Nice. And it's melted already. So. All right. So it is watered down. <laughs> but, but it's only cold? By, but only by one ice cube. Yeah. Not super watered down. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. What about you? What you got? I, I see went, a multitude of cups. Yes. I'm double fisting drinks tonight. Mm. One of them is H2O because mm. I started a, a new workout routine. Um, yeah, you because did. Because I'm just trying to get so yoked for oh, Christmas time. Yoked. <laughs> oh. That's a terrible word. I'm not actually trying to do that, just to be clear. But thank goodness. I, I do have a great thirst now. <laughs> a tremendous <laughs> because thirst. Because of that. Yeah. Um, That's fair. Yes. And then my other drink is uh, Canada Dry with amaretto mm. and some simple syrup to sweeten it a little bit more. So, <laughs> Sugar drink. There it is. And mine. Um, Kevin has wants to go fast. Many. <laughs> Mine has many more ice cubes than yours mm-hmm. and a metal straw. So 
Wow. We'll see how quiet mine is in comparison. Living life on the edge. <laughs> oh, so that's what uh, that's what I'm doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you have a feel good fact for us? And we here we can test how loud my drink is. Yeah, I do have a feel good fact. So, the octopus. Oh, so close to being quiet. Okay. Sorry. We know them. We love them. They're they're beautiful creatures. Yes, the octopi. So, yes. So octopus. I wrote octopuses and it did not autocorrect me. And so I'm just going to say that they actually do seek out and collect things that they think are interesting or pretty. And then they use those objects to create gardens for themselves. Like they actually do that. Oh, really? You need to see it. It's amazing. It's they're so cute. I love them so much. They're so smart and they're so beautiful and they're so thoughtful. And I would like 12 of them because they're so cute and I love them. That sounds really sweet. I love, I love that. I love that a lot. The little critters. Yeah. Little have you critters. ever watched My Octopus Teacher yet on Netflix? Oh, no. You, wow. You have to. That's, it's been a long time since the first time you told me about that. Yeah, you have to. My goodness. It will make you weep. Okay. Is it a movie or a it's series like, or? It's like a documentary movie-ish oh, okay. type thing. Okay. Yeah. Couldn't remember for sure. Yeah. Well, that's fun. Look at that. Yeah. Octopi, octopuses. It didn't autocorrect me, hmm. so... I'm sticking with it because I I don't like whenever I say octopi I feel like I'm being pretentious. Well, octo octopus As. The, the octopus is kind of a pretentious creature, isn't it? No, Kevin, how dare you? Well, it just it, it shows right now that you have not watched my octopus teacher. <laughs> it's showing loud okay. and clear. Okay, okay, <laughs> well. Why don't we go ahead and move along now that you made us feel nice and good. And then I made everybody feel a little bit sad and (laughs) think that I hate the octopus. Why don't you get us moving along here? (laughs) Okay. So for this week's episode, I thought that I'd share a story of a kind of classic unsolved mystery. I'm not going to waste a ton of time with introducing this one because I really just want to hop right in. So today I'm going to tell you about the horrifying Hinterkaifeck mystery murders. Hold on, Kev. This one's a doozy. Okay. So I'm going to offer a blanket content warning. This story features an extremely brutal series of murders, and two of the victims are children. Ooh. So if that's something you don't want to hear, we can't wait to have you back next week. As an added sidebar, there's about 50 different ways that I could tell this story, and so I'm going to kind of like hop back and forth, like kind of along the timeline, Mm -hmm. just as like a sidebar pre-warning for the story kind of thing. So, all right, so let's get into it. So we're going to travel back in time about a hundred years or almost exactly a hundred years to the Hinterkaifeck farm located in Germany in a rural area dotted with similar farmsteads near a town called Groburn, which is somewhere around 40 miles north of Munich. So this is kind of interesting, but the name Hinterkaifeck came from the word hinter, which means behind. There was a nearby tiny town, which they referred to as a hamlet in an article I read, um, and it was called Mm. Kaifeck. And so since the farmstead was located in the woods behind the town or the hamlet of Kaifeck, it earned the name Hinterkaifeck. Okay. Behind Kaifeck. That's fun. So the farmstead itself was made up of a home, a large barn, like a machine kind of workshop, Mm -hmm. some animal barns and things like that. Living in the home was the Gruber family. So for the first guy, I've seen all kinds of ages for him 
So I'm just going to pick the age that I saw the most frequently and go with it. Okay. So the people living on the farm were 63-year-old Andreas Gruber, 72-year-old Kazelia, that's his wife, their 35-year-old widowed daughter, Victoria, and then Victoria's two children, two-year-old Yosef and seven-year-old Kazelia, named after the grandma. Hmm. They also had a maid living with them, 44-year-old Maria Baumgartner, and she kind of was like the live-in maid Hmm. who helped out around the home. Yeah. On April 4th, 1922, neighbors of the Grubers had become concerned about the family. Little Kazelia hadn't showed up for school in a few days, and the mail was beginning to pile up on, like near the front door, which raised some red flags with the postman. The Grubers' neighbor, Lauren Schlittenbauer, <laughs> which is a fun name to say. I wish name. you could have seen my face with that. <laughs> I was very excited. So Lauren Schlittenbauer had also noticed that the family hadn't been seen out and about working on the farm. And he hadn't seen the farm dog at all, even Mm. in the last several days. So this guy's a neighbor. He's the nearest neighbor to the family. Okay. So Lawrence, along with several other neighbors, made their way to the Hinterkaifeck farm to check on the Grubers and make sure everything was okay. When they arrived, Lawrence noticed that all the doors to the home were locked. So he headed over to the barn. And as he walked over, he noticed that the door was like wide open. Hmm. So they made their way over to the barn, and he entered through that door and made his way into the barn, and that's when he made a grisly discovery. There in the barn were the bodies of multiple people who appeared to have been gruesomely bludgeoned to death. Four bodies would be discovered there in the barn, along with two more bodies inside of the home. But before we talk about the crime scene, Mm. let's talk about some of the odd occurrences that had taken place on the property in the months leading up to the murders. Mm, Okay. So six months prior to the discovery of the bodies on the property, there were plenty of strange events taking place there. The previous maid, who I don't have a name for, was the first one to notice that things were off. It started off with tapping sounds coming from inside the walls. Mm. She insisted that the sound was not like coming from outside. It wasn't like somebody on the opposite side of the wall. It was coming from inside of the walls. She also swore that she heard footsteps coming from the attic. She initially kept these things to herself, but eventually she was getting freaked out because Mm -hmm. the sounds were happening regularly. So she told a very skeptical Andreas about it. He checked the attic, but there was no sign of anybody ever being there. It's like he went up there and it's just this big, empty attic. They weren't even really using it for anything. Yeah. So if somebody had been there, there would be some indicator. Yeah, there's not anywhere to really hide. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So eventually the maid began hearing what she believed to be disembodied voices coming from the attic as well. Weird. She'd claim that she would hear these sounds literally anytime during the day or night. And eventually she would describe this awful feeling of being watched, Mm. which is so creepy. Normally when I get that feeling, I turn around and there's our dog, one of our dogs <laughs> staring at me because <laughs> I like have food or something. Yeah, but like, yeah. this is the bad kind of yeah. being watched. So she, it was like she could like intuit mm-hmm. that somebody or something was almost always watching her. Mm-hmm. And so despite the fact that she'd lived and worked with the family for a long time, these experiences that she was having kind of started to create a rift between her and the Grubers. Mm. I feel like it's mostly because she would re- kind of report to Andreas about it. And he'd finally follow up on it and there would be nothing to be found, you know? And so he was getting annoyed with her. Yeah. She's also stressed out. I mean, can you put yourself in her shoes for a second? Right. Mm. You can't find an answer to this thing that's like tormenting you. Right. I feel so bad for her. It's really like 
it's unnerving. It sounds like mm-hmm. is how I would feel. Yes. And then to go from that unnerving feeling to no one believes me mm-hmm. is like another layer. That's yeah. That'd be exhausting. Right. The experiences from the maid were not the only odd things going on around the place. Things would start going missing, and eventually the most disturbing thing would go missing. One of the very few sets of keys to the home. Oh. Which is like a big deal. Yeah. That's a big deal now, and that's a really big deal in 1922. Mm -hmm. So this happened one day before the murders, just as an added side note, that that's when the keys went missing. Things would also show up that weren't supposed to be there, like Mm -hmm. a specific newspaper that nobody in the home had ordered or like gone into town and gotten. Nobody knew why this specific newspaper was in their home. Mm. Very weird. That is weird. Neighbors to the Grubers also hadn't ordered that paper, so it was just like super random that it showed up. Eventually, the maid had enough, so she actually left her job and left the farm, fully convinced that the place was haunted. Mm. This was a pretty huge deal for plenty of reasons, but the most notable of these reasons being the fact that her help around the house and the property was pretty much priceless. Once she left, the family would definitely feel the pressure of each, you know, each one of them managing their own mm-hmm. normal chores, plus the chores that the maid used to do. So the search was on for a new maid to fill in the massive shoes of the previous one. Some other odd occurrences would also take place in the days and weeks leading up to the murders. Andreas noticed that the lock on the outside of his tool shed had very obviously been tampered with and damaged, like someone had used some sort of crude tool to try and pick the lock. That's not good. No, it's not. So even though the maid was long gone at this point, Andreas and other members of the family also began hearing the tapping sounds in the walls and the attic and would even hear the sounds of the voices too. Oh, They'd start checking around the house and like outside of the house to try and figure out what was making the sounds, but they could never find anything. Now the maid doesn't seem so crazy after all. Right. This seemed to put a pretty hefty strain on the entire family. They'd started to become like snippy and on edge towards each other. And the sounds were like keeping them awake at night. So on top of it, just being stressful, they're overloaded with work and they're also not sleeping. So like really a, perfect storm of not great. Mm. A couple of weeks before the murders, little Cazelia would go missing one night. The family flew into a panicked frenzy trying to find her. They all like ran outside screaming her name. They found her out in the yard. And when they asked her what happened, she couldn't remember why she was outside or how she got there, which would be so scary. So the family all headed back to bed for another restless night the sounds of the mysterious tapping and footsteps and voices always accompanying them. Around this same time, a little girl and her mother were walking near the forested area by the Hinterkaifeck property. Hmm. The girl and her mom would later recall seeing Victoria sitting kind of at the edge of the woods crying. They asked her if she needed help, and she told them that she needed to get out of there. And that was it. Oh, Yeah, that was all that they got from her. Oh, man. So it was clear to the many neighbors that Andreas had been in conversation with that there was something fishy going on on the farm. Mm -hmm. A few days before the murders, there was a heavy snowfall in the area. Andreas told his neighbor, Lawrence, that he'd seen two separate sets of unknown footprints in the snow coming from out of the forest and towards the farm, but there were no footprints seen leaving the home. Oh. Which is so eerie. I just got goosebumps. Yeah, that's freaky and scary. Yeah. So according to the neighbors that he told this story to, after discovering the footprints in the snow, Andreas went inside, locked all of the doors, and told his family what he'd found. 
worried that there were people trying to break into the home. Mm. He went back out later to go look at the like trajectory of the footprints. Mm -hmm. And he was 100% certain that there was no footprints heading away from the home. Like he confirmed that. He searched the house top to bottom and found no evidence that anyone besides the family was there. He also checked all of the other buildings on the property and found no evidence of an intruder, which is just so weird. Mm, Yeah. Another very strange element about the footprints is that when Andreas went out to go look at the footprints to see if he could figure anything out about what was going on, he tracked the prints all the way to the forest, wondering if maybe he could find Mm. where the footprints started. Mm -hmm. But it's almost as if the footprints just sort of abruptly began right at the forest's edge, like facing their home. Hmm. There were seemingly no prints inside of the forest where the prints seemed to have been coming from, which is super bizarre. Yeah, that's, ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. One other report was that apparently both Andreas and Victoria would tell neighbors that they believed they'd seen the outline of a man at the edge of the forest shortly before the murders took place. So there's just a lot of shady business happening here. On the day that the murders would take place, which was March 31st, 1922, the new maid, Maria Baumgartner, would arrive. This poor lady literally showed up to this home, and within hours of getting there, she would be brutally murdered. She hadn't even unpacked her bags yet. Oh. Which is so sad. That is sad, and really bad. Just like the timing of that is, like, upsetting. Yeah. I feel for her. But, Yeah. Also on the day of the murders, Victoria and her mother would go into town to go shopping. And while they were out, they apparently told a few people about their latest discovery. So they like bumped into friends in town while they were out and about. And they mentioned that they had noticed that someone had laid a bunch of straw in their attic, Mm. which is very weird. for fun? Yeah, just for funsies, I guess. So like I'd mentioned before, little Kazalia was marked absent for school. This was on April 1st, 1922. So at this point, nobody has discovered that the family had been murdered. Yeah. The next day, the family didn't show up for church, which was very strange, Hmm. super unusual for them. In the first few days of April, before the discovery of the bodies, there were multiple people who had reported seeing smoke coming from the chimney of the home. And one guy who I couldn't find a name for, he was passing along the road near the Gruber's home and said that not only did he see smoke coming from the chimney, but that there was like a faint smell of burning fabric, Mm. which is also very Mm. weird. Yeah. There was also the report of someone who had passed the home in those initial days after the murder that had run into a man who he didn't believe that he knew on the road near the Gruber home. This guy was carrying a lantern and the light from the lantern was sort of obscuring his face. So that individual was never identified. There's another version of that where he was close to a man kind of like near the tree line. And once the guy had seen the person walking, he like shined his flashlight at the guy. So he like ran the other way. The guy who got shined at, Mm. which is equally as creepy. Yeah. But either way. (laughs) Yeah. There would also be more evidence found that whoever did this stayed in the home for a few days. The livestock Mm. had been fed. It appeared that someone had made food in the home, plus the evidence of the fireplace being used. Another person who would come and help out on the farm, a mechanic named Albert Hoffner, went to the home on April 4th, 1922, to work on a piece of machinery. He would recall that the farm itself was eerily quiet. He remembered hearing a dog barking somewhere on or near the property, but he never saw the Grubers. 
He then saw the dog in the barn, so he left it alone. He did recall seeing a man in one of the fields near the home, but this guy was a contractor, so he just sort of minded his own business and did his job. Hmm. When he was done, he walked towards the house and noticed that someone had opened the barn door and that the dog was now tied up in front of the home. So somebody hmm. was there. Okay, yeah. He said that the dog was barking like crazy, but once again, dogs do that. Right. <laughs> you know? yeah. So he just minded his own business. But the weird thing was that he saw that the dog had a wound on its face that appeared to be fresh. Hmm. But he, he, once again, he just left it alone. Right. I don't really blame him for that in yeah. any way. What could he have well, really a, done at that point? Well, it's a farm dog. Right. Anything could, could happen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he was there to fix a machine and that's it. Mm-hmm. He knocked on the door to the home and tried to make contact with the Grubers, but they didn't answer. He later informed Lawrence and a few other neighbors that he'd completed his work on the farm, but never saw the family while he was there, despite trying to find them before he left. Hmm. That was the day that Lawrence and a few other neighbors had decided to go check on the Grubers, and now we have a full circle moment. Mm -hmm. So let's get to the crime scene. Okay. Here's a more like zoomed in content warning. Like I said at the beginning, the crime is exceptionally brutal, and two Mm. of the victims are little kids. I'll be describing the state of the bodies as well as the autopsy findings for the next solid chunk of this episode. So if that's upsetting to you, you can either skip ahead or come back next week. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Lorenz and two neighbors, Michael Pohl and Jacob Sigel, arrived at Hinter Kaifek and immediately noticed that the home was locked, but the barn door was wide open. Mm. When they went in, they were horrified at what they found. They discovered the bodies of Andreas, the older Cazelia, Victoria, and little Cazelia. They had been brutally murdered with a weapon that would later be determined to be a mattock, which is kind of like a pickaxe. Oh. So brutal. The bizarre thing is that the bodies were stacked on top of one another with layers of straw between each of the bodies. And some sources also say that there was a board across the top of the pile of bodies. What? Yeah. That's. Which feels like meticulous in some way. So the next bit feels very suspicious. So upon the discovery of the first four bodies in the barn, Michael and Jacob said that Lawrence ran over to the bodies and began moving them, Hmm. like digging through them, stating that he was, quote, looking for his boy, which is strange. And I'll explain more about that in a minute. They then ran over to the home and discovered that the keys that had gone missing from the home were in one of the locks to one of the doors to the home. They were just sitting in the lock. Hmm. So when they went inside without any hesitation, Lawrence allegedly ran straight to the room of two-year-old Yosef, who had been beaten to death in his cot, (sighs) which makes me so sick. He then went right over to the maid's room and found that she was also brutally murdered in her room. Her bags, like I said, were still packed. Hmm. It felt weird to the neighbors that Lawrence seemed to know the layout of the home. Because as far as anybody knew, he'd only been to... Like inside of the Gruber home a few times. Oh, yeah. So they were like, why did he know exactly where to go? Yeah. That felt weird to them. Hmm. So those guys also said that Lawrence didn't really have much of a reaction to the horror scene that they stumbled into. Like he was like weirdly calm. Hmm. Lawrence also sent the two guys to go contact police, but he stayed behind at Hinter Kaifek. It was later learned that he'd done some farm chores while the others were out contacting police. Which I don't really understand why he would do that. Like he fed some of the animals and like did some farm chores. 
But the other neighbors quickly did what they could to contact police and inform them of what they'd discovered. Yeah. Investigators would come from Munich over the course of the next few days to check out the crime scene and to try to figure out what had happened. But as these things go in older cases, as soon as the news broke of the horrendous murders at Hinterkaifeck, nosy neighbors from far and wide had come to gawk at the scene, destroying and contaminating potential evidence along the way. Literally, these people not only wandered all over the property, leaving footprints of their own all over the place and things like that, Mm -hmm. but people had actually gotten into food in the kitchen and, like, made snacks. People had, like, poked at the bodies and moved them around. What? People had cleaned things. Which is, like, unbelievably frustrating. And I know this is, I think, the first time that I've talked about this on this show, but you'll see in a lot of old cases— like it's very normal for crime scenes to be contaminated that by is neighbors. Crazy, like Velisca. Hmm. Like Velisca mm-hmm. was massively contaminated. I mean, there's no way that they could separate half of the evidence there because hmm. people just tromped right through, which makes me nuts. Weird, huh? So, wow. Yeah, I know. It's just like, why, guys? Like, I know that we've come a long way in how we conduct investigations, like globally. And there wasn't a ton of technology or anything back then that would have been able to assist them super, you know, in a super notable way. However, it would be helpful to have maybe a couple hundred less footprints and all that kind of stuff around the place. Yeah, it just seems very um, like, I I don't know. I'm just like, it just seems like common sense to be like, oh, there's some stuff that went down over there. I shouldn't touch it. I should stay away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I should not make this harder for people to figure out what may have happened. Why couldn't they all be like <laughs> Albert Hoffner and just mind their own business? Yeah. Well, and it sounds like really what it comes down to is they wanted to see it for themselves for mm-hmm. whatever reason. And mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you had some junior Sherlock Holmes's German version wanting to figure it out the figure it out for themselves as well mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know that I seems, just don't get it yeah that's aggravating so initially investigators noticed a few things of the loads of money and valuables in the home nothing was missing at all besides the contents of Victoria's purse that they found in her room her purse hmm. was completely cleared out but overall none of the other money or valuables were touched which felt like it pretty much ruled out robbery as a motive. Oh, okay. One side note about Victoria's purse being emptied out is that shortly before the murders, she withdrew all of her money from her bank account. She gave a chunk of it to the church and the rest of the money wasn't accounted for and they never figured out why she did that or where the money went. Oh, yeah. That feels kind of relevant. Like only her purse mm-hmm. has things missing from it. Yeah. And she did that very shortly before. And she was seen crying. So something was going on there. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's that's way too fishy mm-hmm. to not be relevant to right. all that. That's okay. what I thought too. Yeah. They also noticed a few oddities in and around the home and the barn. Inside of the cellar was a relatively fresh farm animal that had been carved and cooked after the estimated time of the murders. Hmm. So somebody had collected a pig or a cow or a goat or something yeah. and had butchered it and was wow. using it to for its meat. Yeah. They also found scraps of food and evidence that the fireplace had been in use and the beds had been slept in since March 31st. Hmm. In the barn, they found human feces and remnants of food in the lofted area. 
They also found that some of the tiles on the barn roof had been tampered with. They were loosened to the point that, theoretically, someone could have easily been able to slide in and out of the gaps in the loose tiles, either to get in and out of the barn, whether or not it was locked, Hmm. or they could have used it to have a visual on the house from that point as well. Oh, which is, wow. I don't know what it is about that, yeah, but it's very unnerving. Yes. That's creepy. That's, yes. Uh, there was also plenty of evidence to suggest that whoever this was, they had in fact stuck around for a few days after the murder and essentially ran the farm, taking care of the land and the animals. Yeah. Very weird. Mm, Who would do that? I, I do not know. I, that sounds like. Somebody who has some kind of a personal interest in either animals in general or this farm specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, man, that's that's just so weird. It's weird. And, mm-hmm. and we'll see this as we keep going. But there are a lot of elements that feel personal. And mm-hmm. then there are a lot of elements that seem so impersonal. That's like you have to be so far removed from these people that you decided to kill that. You're not moved by X, Y, Z thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the police were able to determine a few things about the crime itself. First was the date of the crime. They believe that the murders took place on March 31st because Maria Baumgartner's sister had actually arrived with her um, in like the early afternoon on the 31st and everyone was alive and well. Everything was fine. Hmm. Okay. She wished her sister good luck at her new job and that was the last time anyone saw them alive as far as we know. The next day was when the postman had arrived. Mail had already begun stacking up outside of their door. So the overall belief is that the murders took place between the time that Maria's sister left and the morning that the postman dropped off the mail on April 1st. Okay. So that kind of does narrow it down. Yeah. The lead investigator on the case, uh, George Ryan Gruber, also determined that each of the people in the barn appeared to have been lured out there one by one. One reason they believed this was because of how the bodies were left, stacked on each other, and then covered with hay. The bodies of Andreas and the older Cazalia were both wearing pajamas, indicating that they were likely murdered late at night. With Maria and little Yosef found inside in their beds, that also solidified this assumption. However, the bodies of Victoria and the younger Cazalia were dressed in regular clothing, which they did find to be a little bit odd. It's possible that little Cazalia and Victoria were killed first and that maybe Andreas and the older Cazalia had gotten ready for bed. They'd noticed that Victoria and her daughter weren't accounted for and they went to go investigate, Mm -hmm. each arriving at the barn at different times and then being killed one by one. Mm -hmm. That's possible. Wow. I really just, I hate that so much. Just terrible. It just seems like way too intentional and so far... There's nothing to help make sense of it. I know. And that just kind of, yeah, that aggravates me and makes me bummed. Yeah, this is a real bummer. Yeah. I did warn you it is a doozy. You, you sure did. So there were some reports that said a cow was loose at the time that Lawrence and other neighbors had initially arrived on the scene, which could be an indicator that the cow was cut loose by the murderer or murderers as a distraction than like in the days leading up hmm. to April 4th. Yeah. So maybe little Cazalia or Victoria were sent outside to go see what the deal was. And when they didn't return, the other family members went out to go check on them, eventually ending up in the barn where they were then murdered. And then the elder family members 
each went out to investigate getting murdered in the barn as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. But really, as far as the initial investigation goes, that's pretty much all they had for that short time. Hmm. After the initial sweep of the home was complete and the investigators had gathered all the evidence that they could, the bodies were sent off to undergo autopsies. So I'm just going to kind of work my way down the line on these. Okay. The autopsies were conducted by the court physician by the name of Dr. Johann Baptist Amler, And here's what he discovered. Andreas Gruber had the right half of his face smashed so badly that his cheekbones were protruding from the skin on his face. His face had been pretty much shredded and blood also coated his face. The older Kazalia Gruber had bruising near her right eye and seven blows to her head. One of them was in a triangular shape, all of which led to severe fractures in her skull. There was also signs of strangulation on her body. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Victoria Gabriel had nine star-shaped wounds on her head and face. The right side of her face had been smashed in with some kind of blunt object. She had wounds on her neck and an injury to the top of her skull that was indicative of a small, sharp object being used to stab her. Mm-hmm. Her skull was smashed, and there were also signs of strangulation on her body. I'm going to skip ahead to the bodies found in the house because little Kazalia's injuries were really awful and they stand out as being kind of unique compared to the others. Mm, okay. So Maria Baumgartner had crosswise blows to her head and face like they crisscrossed each other, Ooh. which is just brutal. Yeah. She had a wound that was four centimeters deep to her head that appeared to have been made with a hoe. Her head was also crusted with blood. Her body had been covered with a sheet from her bed. Which is interesting. Hmm. Little baby Yosef was killed by a single blow to the face, and the bassinet that his cot was resting in had damage to it as well. His body had also been covered either by a dress or sheet belonging to his mother. Oh. Which, that's those are those elements that I'm talking about yeah. that feel personal in yes. some way. Like, maybe not like respect. That doesn't feel like the right no, it's word. No, it's not that. But it's, yeah. there's a level of, and not even necessarily familiarity, but it feels like a personal extra step to make to cover the bodies. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So little Kazalia's autopsy warrants its own content warning. What this poor little girl went through is so unfathomable. So skip ahead if you don't want to hear about her autopsy. So Kazalia's lower jaw had been shattered. She had severe injuries to her head and a cervical injury that they said was due to shock. I'm not exactly sure what that means, Hmm. but her neck had a gaping wound and her head also had a large circular wound. Most upsetting is that in Kazalia's hand, clumps of her own hair was found. It's believed that this poor little girl was alive for up to several hours after she'd been attacked and that either due to shock or in an attempt to displace other pain in her body, she spent her final minutes or hours pulling out her own hair. As the bodies of her murdered mother and grandparents laid near her as she died. Which is just so sad. Oh my gosh. So, so sad. A poor little girl. Just like, yeah, it's, it's like a, I don't know. That's, that's one of those like upsetting, like images to have in your head. Mm -hmm. And it's honestly, it's just monstrous. Like to, Oh Yeah. Be willing to do that to somebody else. But especially a little child. Yes, exactly. To where she would, as like, almost like a, 
not a panic reflex, like a, uh, uh, like a coping mechanism mm-hmm. would do that instead. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. It's yeah. a very, very bleak. Yeah. Very, very bleak. Well, and it's an interesting thing to think about too, because the bodies were in the corner of mm-hmm. the barn, like in a specific corner. And whoever this person was had been there for several days in the house with two dead bodies and yeah. working on the farm, probably in the, in and out of the barn at several points mm-hmm. while those bodies are right there. And it's like, I feel like, and this is obviously completely speculative, but if she was alive for several hours, oh. the person had to have known. Yeah. I feel like they had to have known, which is so cruel. If that's mm-hmm. the case. That's something that really stood out to me. So in the immediate aftermath, the goal was pretty simple. Now that we understand the causes of death, and now that we have somewhat of a decent timeline of events, let's figure out who did this and why. Mm. So like I said, the motive of robbery was ruled out pretty quickly due to the money and valuables being untouched in the Gruber home. Right. The next logical road to walk down is that this was a crime of opportunity. Some person or people happened upon the Gruber home, committed the murders, and then stayed for a few days, Hmm. which also didn't make a lot of sense. One thing that was believed by investigators at this time was that as far back as six months prior to the murders, when the first maid had begun hearing those strange sounds and voices, that's likely the actual beginning of the timeline. Oh, man. Whoever this was, it was believed that they'd moseyed their way into the barn and into the home at Hinterkaifeck that they'd observed the family and plotted this crime out for some time. Wow. Whoever this was must have had some level of knowledge about farming since the farm and animals had all been taken care of after the murders. And it's possible that whoever did this Hmm. did, in fact, know the family. Yeah. Maybe, but not, you know, maybe not. Potentially, though. Sure. They also narrowed down the weapons. For a full year after the murders, the weapon was not found. But in 1923, a Matic, one of those axe-type things, was recovered and determined to have been involved in the crime. Hmm. It's also determined that the Matic was made by Andreas. Wow. Which, once again, feels very personal. Yeah, yeah. Like, out of everything in the tool shed, why pick that? Hmm. So, there were wounds across the various bodies that indicated other types of weapons had probably been used to commit the crime, too. But more weapons were never recovered. Right. So, well, you're, the way that you like talked about the uh, the one wound, to, I forget to who it was to, but it was like being attacked with a hoe. Like, there's obviously there. I think there. It sounds like there were a, a lot of opportunities mm-hmm. to use different sorts of weapons. That right. Yeah, but there's something yes, very personal about using a homemade pickaxe. Yeah. Mm, I don't like that. So next they had to consider a motive. Who on earth would brutally massacre an entire family? Yeah. It turns out the Gruber family was not well-loved or well-respected in their community. Oh, The brunt of the bad behavior came from none other than Andreas Gruber. This guy was super combative and he was confrontational with just about everyone that he came across. It had been alleged for some time that he had also been violent towards his family. Mm. Some sources that I use said that Andreas and Cazalia had other children that were mysteriously unaccounted for. 
Like Victoria was not their only child, but the other Gruber children simply disappeared over the years. I haven't been able to verify that, but that was said in a couple of different sources. Wow. So what happened to those kids? If that's true, of course. Allegedly. Yeah. So another content warning here. I'm going to be mentioning and working through a disturbing case of incest. So if you don't want to hear that, feel free to skip ahead. So Andreas had an incestuous relationship with his daughter, Victoria, from at least the time that she was age 16. The first maid had actually caught them in the act in 1915 when little Cazalia was just a tiny baby. Oh, my gosh. Andreas had served one year in jail for his crimes, and Victoria also served a month for the same reason, Mm. which I don't know. It kind of makes me mad. Yeah. And I know I know it was a different time, but at the time that the abuse had started, like she was at the very oldest 16 years old. Yeah. So which I mean, she's incapable of consenting. Mm -hmm. He's an adult man. He's her father. He's in a position of authority over her. Yeah. And so the fact that she had to serve jail time, like I know she was an adult in 1915, but I still I don't know. Something about that really bothers me. I don't know. It just feels like. I don't I didn't find much about like the investigation or court proceedings mm-hmm. regarding the incest, but it's just like there's something about not knowing, I guess, that makes it yeah. feel like yucky, you That's, know? Yeah. I <laughs> Yes. So to add another layer of complexity to this, remember how I'd mentioned that Victoria was a widow? Mm-hmm. So Victoria's husband, Carl Gabriel, was shipped off to war in 1914. And men that he'd fought alongside of said that he'd been killed early on in battle. Mm. They said that they'd seen him die in the French trenches. They could describe the state of his body and could describe the injuries that killed him. But his body was never recovered, and so his remains never made it home. Mm. So the murders took place in 1922. Carl died in 1914, or thereabouts, and Victoria's youngest child was two years old when he was murdered. Are you picking up where I'm going with this? Oh. Who was Yosef's father? Many people in the community and since, you know, the time of these murders have alleged that Andreas was the father of Yosef, who was also his grandson. Yeah. But there was another key figure in this whole thing. The name of the father on Yosef's birth certificate. You might be wondering who would Mm -hmm. that be? Lawrence Schlittenbauer, the neighbor. Oh. That was the name of the father on Yosef's birth certificate. And that's why he stormed into the barn looking for his boy. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mm-hmm. Still, this did very little to stop the rumors around town that Andreas and Victoria were engaging in incest and that Yosef was most likely Andreas's son. So this is like the hot gossip sure. in Kaifek and beyond. Yeah. There was a lot of messiness surrounding the dynamic between Victoria, Andreas, and Lawrence. Some sources say that Victoria and Lawrence were in a relationship because he was also a widower and he had children of his own. So they had a sort of kinship that grew into like a romantic relationship. Mm, okay. So when the two decided that they wanted to be together, Andreas didn't approve. So the pair began sneaking around together. Mm. Eventually, along came little Yosef. But without the blessing from Andreas, Victoria couldn't just run off and get married which, once again, what a time to be alive Mm. in the early 1900s. So in 1918, when things heated up between Victoria and Lawrence, it's totally possible that Yosef was Lawrence's son, which would also make sense of Lawrence saying, like you said, he Mm -hmm. was looking for his boy the day the bodies were discovered. 
I know I'm rambling a little bit on this end, but to wrap up this part of the story, the back and forth between Andreas, Victoria, and Lawrence resulted in threats of legal action, as well as Andreas threatening Lawrence with a sickle. Mm. So like a weapon, wow. just casually. Yeah, the the very mild-mannered Andreas, it sounds like. Yeah, very, just oh. like cool-tempered, yeah. reasonable man. So eventually, Lawrence was ordered to pay child support uh, to Victoria for Yosef. Mm -hmm. And at this time, Lawrence also filed a complaint against Andreas and Victoria for incest, which was in 1919. Hmm. But eventually, he withdrew his complaint. Hmm. So it seems like someone like Lawrence could potentially have a motive to take revenge, at least against Andreas. Sure. And potentially against all of the Grubers for this weird, chaotic time in their lives. And he also had experience in running a farm since he operated his own farm near Hinterkaifeck. Hmm. But during a time of reinvestigation in 1931, Lawrence was brought in for further questioning. And they determined that not only was his own farm being maintained during the days following the murders, but it would have been a stretch for him to have been able to maintain both of these places hmm. at the same time. Sure, sure. Pairing this with the fact that Lawrence gave a very emotional testimony to them, police took him at his word and he was no longer considered a suspect. Hmm. Yeah. I, it also sounds like there is a possibility that Yosef is not Lawrence, but, or Lawrence, mm -hmm. Lawrence's, however you say his name. Um, but in order for Victoria to not go to prison. Mm -hmm. They went with a convenient potential yeah. father. Yeah. Protecting a lot of other people in the mix. Yes. Which is also shady in a different way. And it is. Well, there's a lot of complexity to all this that yeah. is only negative, tons of negative all over the place. There's not a good option. Yes. But because there's not a good option, it's like, well, there's also not a worst option either. That's They're all true. bad. They're all pretty bad. <laughs> Poor little little baby forced Just into the caught most up in the worst kind of yeah. drama. Well, and I didn't write all of the drama down, but this took place over the course of many, many years. Yeah. And it would be like Lawrence paid child support. And as soon as he did, Victoria stopped talking to him for mm. like a solid chunk. So right. then he reported the incest and then either he got threatened or him and Victoria decided to get back together. So he dropped the charges. Yeah. So it's like, just so messy regardless wow. of and and just as a sidebar none of the grubers deserve to get murdered over this just because people didn't like andreas because he's like a loud jerk who fights with people that's not earning right, right. the incest thing jury's still out i'm very angry at him for that that is yeah that's so evil and Disgusting. I would never, ever condone somebody just murdering someone in cold blood over something like mm -hmm, that. Mm -hmm. But I also like at least can empathize a little bit if someone's like trying to stop the drama. Like yeah. if the only person who survived would have been Victoria and her kids, the only people would have been Victoria and her kids. This whole thing would have been a little bit different. Sure. You know, yeah. we'd have different theories to work with. But with everybody gone, mm -hmm. it's like, what do we even have to work with? Mm -hmm. So moving on. Some people have questioned if Carl Gabriel actually died in battle. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if that was going to be a thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So because of the horror stories about what happened at Hinterkaifeck, 
In the years to come, a sort of legend began spreading around through the area of men claiming to have seen Carl, men -hmm. who knew him. They Mm -hmm. saw him in uh, Soviet uniform after 1914. Wow. So could he have done it? Mm. I mean, this one, being honest, this one seems super unlikely to me. It kind of feels like a tall tale that just kind of grew and festered. But his fellow soldiers and friends gave enough consistent and compelling testimony that despite lack of the body, Carl was not considered a viable suspect because it was believed that he was deceased. Right. Yeah. So, but that was a pretty popular theory. Like Mm. he would know the layout of the land. He would know where to go. Like he could hide in the barn. Yeah. He just took, took his sweet time getting back to the Mm -hmm. barn, to the Mm -hmm. farm Mm -hmm. and his sweet time planning out what he's going to do. Probably knowing some not so great stuff was going on mm-hmm. and witnessing it if he was living in the barn. Right. And yeah, it probably broke the, it was the straw that broke the camel's back. Sure. If we don't want to suspend disbelief for a second, mm-hmm. if it were him, there would be plenty of reason to believe that he would have motive, would not only have motive, but also like a pretty rock solid alibi for not being suspected such as presumed dead. Right. You know, that would get somebody off the hook pretty quickly, I would imagine. I would assume so, (laughs) if I were to guess. Yeah. From the time that the investigation had first started and into the mid-1950s, police conducted more than 100 interviews with neighbors, potential witnesses, and potential suspects. But these interviews led to nothing substantial. Hmm. The case is still cold, but the investigators, they closed the file... Like the case isn't closed, but they closed the file. Sure. And they've reopened it a few times over the years. At some point after the autopsies, the heads of each of the family members were removed to be further analyzed, which is a strange move considering they didn't send their heads off to labs Hmm. to be medically tested. The heads were sent to clairvoyance to see if this I think it was one clairvoyant to see if they could kind of gather any metaphysical evidence. Hmm, That's kind of creepy. Which is sketchy. Yeah. And this is awful. But sometime during the Second World War, the heads were lost, never to be recovered. (sighs) Which that whole bit is so bizarre. And I don't understand any move made in that department at all. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of some questionable decision making at best going on there. I feel like the idea of we talked about this with um, with the Mercy Lena Brown, where they were in regards Mm -hmm. to like um, TB, they were grasping at straws. Yeah, this is a straw that I'm like, I don't understand you grasping at that one. Yeah, this is like the 1900s. This is like, I, this isn't that long ago. Right. I don't understand that straw being grasped, but anyway, the bodies of the Grubers and I believe also the body of Maria Baumgartner were buried without their heads in a cemetery near the Hinterkaifeck property. Hmm. 
1923, a year after the murders, the home on the property, as well as all of the other buildings, were demolished. Yes, that's the right thing to do. That yes. That is correct. Yes. It's believed that they did this after all mm-hmm. potential evidence had been gathered from the scene. So, yeah. it was at this time that the mattock was discovered underneath the floorboards that were near the fireplace inside of the home. Oh, God. That's okay. when they discovered the weapon. Yeah. The farmstead was demolished because not only did the whole town unfortunately really dislike the Grubers, even after their gruesome murders, but it was a completely abandoned property that hadn't been left to any living friends or family of the Grubers. Mm-hmm. So, it was just kind of like a dark scourge yeah. on the whole area. Yeah. And just, like, creepy and eerie, and people were like, this is not good. Oh, yeah. It would be a weird landmark to be reminded of something that I would imagine would also cause some concern for people's public safety. Sure. Well, and they did sort of, like, erect a little bit of, like, a memorial that Mm. you can go visit on the old property (laughs) where you can, like, pay your respects to the family or whatever. Yeah. Um, in 2007, the case was reopened by Fierston Feldbrook Police Academy. Hmm. I just shot for the moon with that pronunciation. German listeners, I know we have a handful of you. Really? I'm so sorry for any mispronunciations. You have a beautiful <laughs> language, and I am sadly, sadly Midwestern. Oh, man. <laughs> so, with evidence being lost and witnesses being long dead, there wasn't a whole lot of progress that could be made. Yeah. Members of the Academy did come to a consensus on a theory, but they have never shared that theory with the public out of respect for the living family members that, Hmm. like, had relation to the Grubers, which I do understand. Oh, okay, yeah. But I also, like, kind of wish I was a fly on the wall and could know Hmm. what they thought. Because I feel like they would have really unique insight to that. Yeah. So to this day, theories are still being talked about across all kinds of mediums from this being a terrible massacre at the hands of a violent murderer to this whole thing being the work of a very crafty poltergeist with the ability to wield a Matic. Hmm. Honestly, the likelihood of this case ever being solved is incredibly low. Yeah. But one thing is for sure, whether you believe this was a crime committed by strangers who had broken into the Gruber home and watch them for six months leading up to the murders, or if you believe this was a crime of passion committed by someone who knew the family personally, or if you think this was the result of a very serious haunting, <laughs> the story of the hinter Kaifek murders will continue to baffle and compel people from all around the world. Yeah. And that is what I have for you this week. <sighs> wow. It's uh, a weird one. Man, that is a weird one. It's And it's spooky in a certain way. Like, <laughs> there's so much... Um, there's just so much like unknown, but there's mm-hmm. enough, if there's enough known, if that makes sense, there's right. enough known to make you go, Oh, someone did that. And why, but you don't know why. And you don't know who. And those are the two most important parts of, right. of these sorts of things. So there's no closure anywhere. Right. Which. Yeah. Wow. I hate that. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the unusual unsettling and unsavory story today, dear listener. And, uh, I think this is a one that I think we can, we can score a little bit. Uh, though I, once again, this is a well-balanced story. I will say generally for me, unsettled, lots of unsettling elements. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that's, that's the strongest one for me. I don't know if you have an opinion on, on this. I feel extremely unsavored. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Because there's no, no, closure or I think there are enough elements of the story that 
are so dark and mm. bleak and heavy and like eerie. Yeah. That I feel unsavored. Yeah. But not like eerie in a fun way. I think there's yeah, like haunted yeah. house spooky. Yeah. And then there's like extremely tragic, mysterious cold yeah. case. Yeah. Unsettled. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or unsavory, I mean. So oh. that's what I'm going with. Yeah. I'm going to say unsavory. Well, if you have an opinion, listener, um, you can comment on our Instagram or Facebook post about this story. You can find us on Instagram at this one is a doozy and on TikTok at this one is a doozy and also on Facebook. This one's a doozy podcast. And uh, you can also email us with your feedback, um, uh, story suggestions and personal stories at this one is a doozy at gmail.com. Also, whatever you are listening on your favorite listening platform, Please make sure that you're subscribed so you never miss an episode and leave a glowing five-star review to help other people um, listening to similar genres and podcasts to find this one. And with that, we will see you next week for another doozy. Thanks, guys. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.